Good morning again. Our scripture reading uh, for this morning comes from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And if you've been with us, uh, you know that we've been reading through the book of Matthew, preaching through the book of Matthew uh, over the past few weeks. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you, you can pick one up in the back. There are some uh, paper Bibles there in the back. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you should feel free to take that home with you. Write your name in the front, uh, take it home, read it, bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Let me pray for us uh, before we read Matthew 5. Father, we come before you once again because we long to hear from you. We long to hear your Word. We long to hear of your Son, Jesus. We, 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 we want uh, to hear your voice. We want you to speak to us and and. and begin again to mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. So, Father, we pray that you would come and be with us now, that you would open our hearts by your Spirit, and uh, that that you would transform us into his image by your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, our scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, if you uh, watch the news or listen to the news at all, it seems like governments are being overthrown every year. You may remember the Arab Spring a couple of years ago, uh, which resulted in at least four uh, overthrown governments. But of course, uh, very often, like uh, the book Animal Farm, right, the new leaders generally end up just like the old. People are people, after all, and a new human government is a new human government. Even in the U.S., right, we get to vote in our leaders term after term, but whichever person we vote in year after year is, after all, a person. Well, Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, has been very patiently painting a picture for us of a different king, King Jesus. He's painted this picture from chapter 1 that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is, in fact, the son of God. 
And he's come uh, to uh, be the fulfillment of all of God's promises. This coming, he's the coming king of the Jews who's come to rule the nations. He's come to set up a new kingdom, not like the kingdoms of this world, but something profoundly different. And wherever Jesus is, we have seen something new is happening. Jesus uh, came to bring, again, not just another human kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He came to bring the renewal of all things under God's rule. He came to bring God's blessing, God's favor. And the Sermon on the Mount, which we begin looking at this morning, is, is like Jesus' manifesto. It, it, it's, it's about how his kingdom contrasts with the world. And there are three differences we're going to look at this morning. There's a lot in the passage that we read, but there are three things in particular we're going to look at. We're going to see that Jesus' kingdom involves different people, different blessings, and a a different purpose. So people, blessings, and and purpose. Now, the the first thing we have in Matthew chapter 5 is what is often called the Beatitudes. There are eight blessings and, and Jesus, in these Beatitudes, in these blessings, he identifies eight characteristics of people in his kingdom. And Jesus isn't giving commands here. He doesn't say uh, in verse 3, be poor in spirit, or he doesn't say be pure in heart, but he's pronouncing a blessing on such people. And, and what we're going to do, we're going to look at the descriptions of the, the people, and then we're going to follow that up by looking at the blessings. Again, I said there, there were eight characteristics here, and I, I want you to notice that, that each, as we go through each of these characteristics, contradicts many of the values that we find around us. What we value often is really the exact opposite of what Jesus values in his kingdom. Jesus' people then end up being characterized by kind of an upside-down kind of living from the world's perspective. And that begins with the first one, doesn't it? Verse 3, we're told, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, to be poor, right, is to lack. Uh, To be poor is to be in want, is to not have what you need. To be poor in spirit is to lack what you need spiritually, right? To lack any spiritual good, to lack any any spiritual bargaining chips with God, right? It's, It's ultimately to see that our emptiness of spiritual capital, to realize that we can't boast, we we can't bargain, we can't buy our way up the spiritual ladder. And this is really the most important of the Beatitudes, probably also the most difficult to grasp. Because to be poor in spirit first requires that, that we understand that there's a, there's a spiritual realm in which to be impoverished. You know, I mean, we, we know that we can be poor financially. We know that we can be poor relationally or we can be poor academically. We can be poor students, right? We know that we can lack money. We can lack, lack friends. We can lack the academic know-how that's necessary. And we know this because we understand that there's an economic world out there where we buy and sell. There's a relational world out there where we make friendships and sometimes lose friendships. There's an academic world out there where some people have what it takes and others don't, right? We know of those worlds, but, but a spiritual world, right? What does Jesus mean when he talks about being poor in spirit? Well, in one sense, he, he means simply this, right? That there's a God who made the heaven and the earth, There's a God who made us, and he calls us to live in his world as his people. And to do that is is to perform spiritually. It's to to live in a way that honors God. The problem is, of course, none of us have done that. So rather than live in God's world as God's people, we decided to do life our own way. 
We, we often say, in fact, we say daily, no, I don't, I don't want to do things your way, God. I want to do things my way. I don't want you to run my life, control my life. I want to run my life. And so we end up poor spiritually, empty of any spiritual capital. This is the first characteristic of, of people in God's kingdom. They're, they're spiritually poor. Now, it may not be what you would expect, because if you were starting a new kingdom, or if you were starting a, a new country, or even just a new business, uh, you wouldn't say, I'm looking for poor people. Uh, you wouldn't, if you're starting a computer business, you wouldn't say, I'm looking for people who are poor in computer skills. Uh, you, you wouldn't do that, right? You would say, I'm looking for people who have it all together. If you're starting a bank, you wouldn't say, I'm looking for people who are poor in finances to come and you know, use my bank. That's not what you're looking for. You're, you're looking for people who are rich. You're looking for people who are wealthy in whatever field uh, that, that you're endeavoring into. Well, Jesus is starting a new kingdom, and it's, it, it's not exclusively spiritual, but it is spiritual in nature. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this second characteristic builds on the first, doesn't it? You know, have, have you noticed that you're spiritually poor, right? That you're void of anything to commend you to God? Well, how do you respond? How do you respond to that? Well, you could just get mad and complain about God's impossible standards. You could say, God, you're just asking too much of me. It's, it's really your fault, not mine. You can make excuses, Right? Again, you could say it's not my fault, it's my upbringing, it's my society, it's my, it's my genetics, my biochemistry, something like that. I could just point to all of these things out there and say it's not my fault that I'm spiritually poor, God. You could just put on a mask, right? You could pretend. You could pretend that you're rich when you're empty. You could convince yourself that you're really quite wealthy in the, the world, of the, the spiritual realm. Uh, lots of people pretend to be spiritually strong. We do that in the church, don't we? We think, look, I'm, I'm a fine, upstanding Christian. I, I look at all the good I do for the church. Look at how I participate in these different groups. I, I do my quiet times, and I, you know, I, I study my Bible, and I'm, I'm really quite a good person. People do that in the world, right? They say, well, I don't like religion, but I'm a very spiritual person, which is really saying, I, you know, I, I don't actually want to follow God, but I want to claim to have some kind of spiritual capital. I want to claim that I have something in this spiritual realm. So we could get mad, we could make excuses, we could, we could put on masks and pretend, we could, we could, uh, we could medicate ourselves, right? This is when we, we do something to dull our senses to our spiritual poverty. We try to forget it. Uh, we, we do this by, you could do this by taking drugs, you could do it by buying a boat, right? You could do it by sleeping around or gaining a reputation as a great student, anything to give yourself this kind of boost to try to forget about your spiritual bankruptcy. Or... You could mourn. All of those other things are just ways of trying to manage our spiritual poverty, trying to control it. But mourning, mourning is accepting it, recognizing it for the bad thing that it is. It's what the Bible calls brokenheartedness, right? It's not just seeing how bad I am, but being broken by that, mourning over that. And do you realize your spiritual emptiness is really a cause for tears? It's a cause for weeping. Do you realize that your sin before the Father is a cause for sadness? That we should have a genuine regret that our lives have been in rebellion against the God who made us, against our Father in heaven. 
Well, this poverty and this mourning leads to a third characteristic, which is meekness. Now, meekness is, is often kind of hard to understand because of the terminology. We think meekness, what is that? Is that being weak? You know, what does that mean, meekness? And in fact, meekness is actually seen best in strong people. It can be in weak people as well, but it's seen best in those who are strong because meekness is, is to lay down your guns. It, it, it's to stop demanding. And it's seen best in strong people, right? Because strong people are those who at least seem to have the option of taking what they want, Right? Strong people are those, whatever field it is, who, who, who seem like they can go out and get anything they want. But the meek person says, I'm, I'm going to stop. Uh, I'm going to stop making demands of life. I'm going to stop making demands of other, other people. I'm going to stop. I'm going to yield. It's not rolling over and playing dead because you can't do anything else, right? That's weakness. But it's choosing to stop fighting God's verdict of you and God's will in your life. That's meekness. Meekness is the opposite of pride. Pride says, I'm going to take what I want when I want because I can. Or pride says, I'm going to get angry and, and despairing because I can't. Right? But pride is seeking to demand. It's seeking to take. The meek person sees his spiritual poverty, mourns over his sin, and chooses to stop fighting, stop demanding. If I see myself, truly, I'm going to stop trying to take life as if I deserve it. I'm going to stop demanding that others give me what I want. I'm going to start being grateful for what God has given, knowing that it's fully undeserved. I don't deserve any of it, but God's given it, and I'm going to praise him for it, not demand more. That's the meek person. You see the progression there, right? There's, we see our poverty. We mourn over that, and then we come to a place of reservation, of acceptance. I see who I am. I see what I am. I see where I stand before God, and I stop pretending to be otherwise. Well, it's a place of reservation, but it's not a reservation that wallows in self-pity. Because the meek person, the next character quality that Jesus points us to is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. See, meekness doesn't make demands, but it does long, long for something better, something more. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to have a genuine desire for, for a right standing and right action. It's, it's to long to be accepted by God and to be acceptable to God. And notice these four characteristics, in some ways, is they, they're, they're negative, right? They're not positive things, they're negative things. They're, they're, they're needy and empty and lacking. These people are, are longing for something that they don't have. They don't explain what the people of the kingdom are. In one sense, they explain what they're not. Explain what they don't have. We think people are blessed who are spiritually strong, right? Or who have reason to boast in their condition or who are happy or who take life by the horns, right? Or who are satisfied with who they are in life. But Jesus says that's not the case at all. And these essential characteristics of Jesus' people, to be needy, to be empty, to be lacking, to be longing, right? In these first four, Jesus is explaining in some ways what it looks like to enter the kingdom, isn't he? Right? He's, he's come, he's said, he's come to bring the kingdom, and now he's explaining what it looks like to enter into that kingdom. You, you know, you see your spiritual poverty, you mourn over that, you stop pretending to be something you're not, and you hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is the attitude of, of one who's entering into Jesus' kingdom. 
And yet it's not once and done, right? I mean, you don't, you don't, well, I was poor once. I was poor in spirit. I did that. I checked that off the list. And then I was mourning and then I was meek. And now I'm done and I'm good to go. And I'll move on from here. That's not the case at all. But these are the continual attitudes of God's people. It's the attitude of one who recognizes I, I can't save myself from God's judgment. I can't, I, can't, I can't save myself from death. I can't save myself from, from the sin and the curse in the world, right? I, I, I can't do that. I have nothing to bargain with. I can't make demands. I, I, I'm, I need to hunger after a righteousness that only God can supply. This is what it looks like to turn to Jesus, right? I've got nothing. I need what you alone can give by grace. Now, if those first four are kind of the essential characteristics, if they're, they're what it looks like to enter the kingdom, if they're the baseline, the next four are kind of the reflex characteristics. They flow out of the first four, don't they? Essentially, the next four say, if you've entered the kingdom, nothing in your life will ever be the same again. Uh, Tim Keller, in a sermon on the, the Beatitudes, summarized it something like this. He said, to be merciful means your relational life will never be the same again. To be pure in heart means your internal life has, has changed. To, to be peacemakers means your life direction has changed. And of course, we could add to that, to be persecuted means the way the world responds to you has changed. It recognizes that change in you and for whatever reason doesn't like it. And if you've entered the kingdom, it, it's not because you earned it. Remember, you're spiritually poor, you're spiritually bankrupt, but it's a gift of Jesus. And so you're going to be merciful to others the same way God has been merciful to you. You'll stop demanding others get their stuff together when you never got your stuff together. And, and you're going to stop demanding when you see someone helpless and in trouble, you're going to seek to help them to show mercy rather than make demands. Sinclair Ferguson says here, mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. And he adds, whether his own or that of someone else's. Why would we do that? Well, because that's what God does for us. He got down on his hands and knees. He came into the world. He took on human skin. He, 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 he was born as a baby, grew as a man, and he went to the cross and died for us. He got down on his hands and knees, so to speak, to restore our dignity, which was broken by sin. And so we respond to others the way that God has responded to us. And of course, if you've seen your sin and you've mourned your sin, you're also going to grow in purity of heart because you'll stop deceiving yourself and others about what's really there. Right? You're going to stop lying about what's really there. and There will be a new kind of integrity as you're honest about the mess that's in your heart. And that honest confession of sin, that honest confession about your heart, it, it leads to God cleansing our hearts. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where does a pure heart come from? It comes from God cleansing it. You can't make your heart pure. You don't get in there and scrub it down. No, God cleanses it. Why does he cleanse it? He cleanses it as we confess our sin to him. As we're really honest, as we begin to be honest about our sin, God cleanses us of it. And if you've entered the king, if you've seen your poverty, if you've mourned, if you've stopped demanding, if you're longed for acceptance, if you've begun to show mercy, if you've been cleansed, if your heart has been cleansed by faith, you who were once an enemy of God, what this means is you're now reconciled to him in Jesus. You who were once an enemy, you've now been brought near, you're now at peace with God, and so your life goal becomes making peace. It, you, you'll, you, you will increasingly desire to see others reconciled to God as well. 
The gospel is the gospel of reconciliation. And as we receive it, as it works itself out in our lives, we want to see it work itself out in other people's lives as well. There's this increasing desire that, hey, God is doing something in me. I want to see this same thing be done in other people. And so you'll seek to become a peacemaker, to make peace between God and men by sharing the gospel. Do you long to see peace? Do you long to see true peace between man and God? Jesus is saying this is true of his people. Now, oddly enough, and it is kind of odd when you get to this point in the Beatitudes, oddly enough, if your whole life has changed in these ways, Jesus says you'll be persecuted. Persecuted, he says, for righteousness' sake. Persecuted, he says, on Jesus' account. There are some people who aren't going to like this change. It's, it, it, they're upset that you're changing sides, that you're rocking the boat. A people who think you, you've got to throw around your weight, not confess your poverty, right? People who say you've got to keep a smile on your face, not mourn over your sin. Uh, people who say you've got to go out and demand life, take it, not accept that you actually deserve nothing. You've got to demand that God take you on your own terms, right? You've got to say, God, accept me as I am, not recognize that you need some righteousness that you lack. Because if you start saying, well, I I lack this thing, I lack righteousness, I lack right standing with God, the inevitable corollary is that others lack it as well, right? If I start confessing my own sin and what's in my heart and saying that I don't live up and, and saying that I've fallen short... That, that's going to make people uncomfortable because they're going to see their own hearts in that. And if I say God demands of me something that I cannot supply, people are going to get uneasy. And so persecution results. See, the people of Jesus, as he describes it, are, are different, right? Instead of boasting in their riches, they mourn their poverty. Instead of taking what they want, they long for what is right. Instead of having impossible demands and throwing it in people's faces when they fall short, they, they show mercy to the one caught in sin. Instead of telling people to follow their hearts, they seek a purified heart. Instead of focusing on conquering people to get ahead in life, they seek to reconcile people to God. Instead of living for a superficial peace, getting along with others, they seek to establish real peace between God and men. And of course, the end of that is trouble and turmoil in the horizontal realm. Jesus says his kingdom is made up of radically different people. Which leads us to consider the different blessings of Jesus' kingdom, these blessings that he pronounces on these people. Why 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 is this in the form of blessing? Why doesn't Jesus say, here's what my people look like. They're poor in spirit, they mourn, they're meek, and so on and so forth. He doesn't do that. He puts it in a form of blessings. Why? I think it's so that his disciples will, will, will get the blessedness of this condition. Because when you read it, it begins with being poor and mourning, and it ends with persecution. It doesn't sound blessed. And so Jesus wants to convince us, no, this is, this is actually the way it's supposed to be. This is a good thing. For my people. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, we want to say, blessed are the rich because they have all the stuff. We want to say, blessed are those who laugh because they're having all the fun. Blessed are those who, who know how to take life for themselves because they're the ones who seem to get it. We want to say, blessed are those who are full and fat because they're full and fat, right? Blessed are those who have de- high demanding zero tolerance standards and focus on achieving outward success and competition with their neighbor because they're going to receive the praise of men. That's what we want to say. Jesus is teaching us to see the world differently. He's teaching us that that blessing is is not found in worldly fullness, but in spiritual longing, right? That's what brings blessing. 
Well, what is the, what is the blessing? What is this blessing that spiritual longing brings? Well, you, you might notice the first and last blessings were the same in verses 3 and 10. It's the blessing of the kingdom. It's the blessing of the renewal of all things under God's rule. It's renewal in a life-giving relationship to our Father in heaven. That's the blessing. All the others, they just, they're different facets of that one thing. So uh, notice how the rest of the blessings spell this out. You know, those who mourn are said they, they will be comforted. Well, what's the comfort? It's comfort in knowing that my sins have been forgiven, knowing that I've been restored to, to God in this new order, that despite my lack, He has given me His riches. We're told that the meek will inherit the earth, right? Which is interesting. Once we stop demanding the earth, God promises to give it to us. It's not just the earth as it is and all of its brokenness, but the earth as as it will be renewed in all that it will be and all that it should be and all that it was meant to be, right? Remember, the kingdom is the whole world renewed under God's rule, given to God's people. God says, look, I'm gonna give you the earth. Those who, are hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness are said uh, that they will be satisfied. When we hunger and thirst God for righteousness, God will give it to us. First, uh, he, he renews us, our relationship to him through Christ, right? Uh, Jesus is declared righteous, declared acceptable to God. When we believe in him, we are declared righteous, acceptable to God. He gives us his righteousness so that we long for a righteousness that we can't perform, we can't do, we can't make. God gives it to us in his son, Jesus. But then he also begins to renew us, doesn't he? It doesn't end there. It begins there, but it doesn't end there. He begins to renew us from the inside out. He not only declares us righteous, but he begins to make us righteous. Verse 7 says that the merciful will receive mercy. Part of the kingdom is receiving God's mercy. God could have abandoned us in our low condition. He could have said, well, you got yourself into that. You can get yourself out. But he didn't do that, and he won't do that. God shows mercy to us. The pure in heart are said to see God. And of course, this is the great blessing of God's kingdom, isn't it? Jesus is renewing our relationship to our Father that we might see Him one day, that we might dwell with Him. And of course, we begin to do that now. We begin to experience that now as we see the Father, Jesus says, in the Son, right? Jesus says, you remember in John 14, those who have seen me have seen the Father. The more we look to Jesus in the scriptures, the more we see the Father, the more we see what our God is like. And of course, we will see him fully on the last day. And yet in one sense, the high point, we're told the pure in heart will see God, but then the next, the high point of the blessings is we will be called sons of God. Those who look, uh, those who look like Jesus, share characteristics with him, uh, those who look like the Father will be called his children. And when we see him face to face on that last day, we won't see him as our judge. We won't see him merely as our king, but we're going to see God as our father because we are the sons of God. And so Jesus' blessing, what does he offer us? What is he bringing to us? It's the kingdom. It's undeserved. It includes comfort. It includes title to the earth. It includes righteousness and mercy. It includes God's very presence and name. This is our hope Those who recognize their spiritual poverty receive true riches. And this hope is, in one sense, as we've talked, it's both present and future, isn't it? Right? The kingdom is ours now. We are a part of God's new world now. But we have an even greater hope for the future. The fullness is yet to come. We have a hope beyond this life, don't we? That that the, the kingdom is the renewal of all things under God's rule. The fullness of that kingdom comes at Jesus' return. 
when the very earth itself will be renewed, when we will see God literally face to face, when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, when he himself will comfort us, and then we will dwell in the land forever. That's what the scriptures say. And when Jesus returns, God's going to raise us from the dead, heal our broken bodies, heal his broken world, and we will dwell with him forever, seeing him face to face. That's our hope. Then we will know a satisfaction like we've never known it before. This is the great Christian hope, right? The kingdom has come in Jesus. The kingdom will come at Jesus' return. And we hope for the final renewal of all things. We hope because Jesus has promised it to us, and Jesus' promise never fails. So Jesus' kingdom, right, it has different people. They're characterized not by physical fullness, but by a spiritual longing. It has a different set of blessings being restored to God who's renewing all things in his kingdom. Finally, and, and, and briefly, it has a different purpose. You know, what is Jesus doing with these people he's gathered together? Verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. Uh, Jesus, in one sense, he wants us to be so flavorful and so bright in the world that, that what? That people would see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. But it's interesting because those who are, who are spiritually impoverished, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, are those whose good deeds the world are to see. The world is to see. Uh, we are to let the, the world see What? See, God's renewing work in us, not, not so we can boast or brag, but so that the world will give glory to our Father in heaven. Our goal is that the world would see God's work in us and God's work through us. Our goal isn't, again, it's not uh, financial, it's not popularity, it's not building a better you, right? But it's letting the world see God's work in us. That's our saltiness, God's work in us. Now, that may seem frustrating because you might say, as I feel like every day, well, but I'm not that good, <laughs> right? I'm not that good. I mean, see my good works. I, I don't have any. I mean, or at least nothing to boast of, right? Let my light shine. I don't, I don't, I don't have any light. Good, right? I'm glad you said that because blessed are the poor in spirit. If you felt like you had something to boast in, then you wouldn't be poor in spirit, and you'd ruin it, you know, you'd, you'd be off the tracks from the get-go. And you need to keep answering the objections of your heart with these words, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's your difference. That's the saltiness, right? That's what makes Jesus' people different, that they recognize their poverty, that they mourn, that they hunger. Never lose that. Because as soon as you begin to think you have something or that you've grown enough or that you have in yourself what the world needs, you've lost your saltiness. Jesus is not saying, once you get your stuff together, right, then let your light shine before others. What light do I have to shine? He's saying, shine it now. What, what, you know, let your light shine right now. You who are poor in spirit, you who mourn, right, you who are meek, let your light shine now. What light do I have to shine? Well, it's Jesus. Right? I mean, he is the light of the world. The church is the lamp that is lit, lit with the light of Christ. We bring our poverty to him. We hunger and thirst for him. He will satisfy our hunger. He will make us whole. He will renew us. Maybe not the way we want to be renewed, but in his time, he will renew us so that he might be seen through us. It's just what makes, it is, it's just what makes us different. Our humble recognition of our poverty 
our willingness to mourn rather than make excuses, our longing for what is right rather than taking what we want. It is these things that bear witness to Jesus' work in us because those things aren't normal. Those things don't come naturally. They don't come naturally to us or anybody else. We need Jesus to work in us for those things to be true. Never try to, never try to fake being good, right? Thinking that, the, that that will give glory to your Father in heaven, right? If I, just, if I just try to fake being good, then, you know, the world will see my good deeds and give glory to my Father in heaven. That's not the point. Start with your poverty. That's the beginning, Start with your poverty and your hungering and run to Jesus to be filled and you will be sought and light in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we recognize right now that, that we are spiritually bankrupt. In fact, the more we think about our hearts, the more we dwell there, the more we dig deep, the more poverty we find. The more we look into our hearts, we don't find spiritual strength, but spiritual weakness. The more we look there, we don't find uh, goodness or joy. We find, we find our sin and our anger and our frustration. Jesus, we are empty. Show us our emptiness. Unfold it to us. Help us to know our own hearts. That we might bring our emptiness to you to be filled by your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.